The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. It's on a bench in the biggest way possible. Hanging out a bad seat, a broken eight, a bad apple with a bad attitude. Hanging around a bunch of bad, out of bad day, bad lie, bad do, bad rap, bad attitude, bad vibes. FOTB pod, son. So I'm watching this show. It came highly recommended from one of the Pharrell Avidian fans. Guy says, yo, Pharrell, did you check out 000? I said, no, I got to check it out. So finally, I turned it on. I looked at the preview. I was blown away. I looked at it. It was like an eight-part series. And it was on Prime. And I'm like, all right, I can dig this. I can get into this. This is awesome. I've been chilling the most during the Pharrell-demic. Nothing to do, nowhere to go. Trapped, isolation, hanging low. So I turn on the first episode. I'm trying to gather my thoughts, trying to absorb what's going on here. Bottom line, flick starts. They're in Italy, up in the mountains of Italy. Some old man, he must have been 85, 90, comes out of the ground. He's like living in a hole in the ground in some kind of underground bunker. And he comes out into the mountains and there's all these goats and He's in the hills, and I mean, this guy's in the middle of nowhere, and I'm thinking to myself, the first time I see it, I'm like, this has got to be somewhere in Bogota or something, because it just looked like the mountains and hills of Colombia, where all the cocaine is growing, and instead, it's Italy. They're somewhere in Italy, so then they get to this old man walking in the woods, and then he hooks up with his grandson, and his grandson shows him love and respect. He's like, Grandpa, you shouldn't be out. It's just not necessary. You don't need to go with us. And the grandpa's like, I have to go with you. Meanwhile, the guy's half blind, but they end up going to this, it would appear to me, mob meeting. And so they hook up with all these dudes in the mob. It looks like there's two families there. It's a lot like the Godfather. You got the different families. This looks like two different Italian families. There's a lot of guys in this meeting and they have this meeting in the middle of the woods. And the old man says he's going to get things right, set things right. Things have been out of whack. He's been living in a hole, but he's here to make amends and to set things back on course, get things going again in the right direction. The other mob family, he's looking at him and he says, I'm going to give you $900 million. $900 million. Then he says he's ordered 5,000 kilos of pure blow. And then that perked my ears up. And he said he was yanking 27.5 per kilo. 
And then, believe me you, this other family's ears perked up. And they were all in. Next thing you know, they showed this guy from the one mob family, which would appear to be the opposite family of the grandfather and the son. He is the main man in this family. Next thing you know, they show him driving around, picking up money from everybody. He's picking up stacks of just massive amounts of money. And he's doing it at night. Guy's driving around with all this money by himself. No protection. He's got a gun in the car, but he's only doing it himself and he's putting it in this gigantic bag in the back seat and he's just loading it up with tons of money next thing you know the guy's driving through the mountains what happens the guy sees this guy pulled over his car's broken down he pulls up he knows the guy he's like what are you doing you broken down he's like yeah next thing you know the guy that's broken down pulls out a gun puts it in the guy's head this main mobster and the guy's like you have no idea what you're about to do he says this is not going to go well for you and then the guy's like shut up Shut your face and get in the back of the trunk. So the guy gets out of the car, gets in the trunk. And then the next thing you know, they show the godfather's son driving out from his crib. He put his kid to sleep. He says, I'll be back. He drives out. He goes. Next thing you know, he meets the guy at some farm. The guy that pulled the gun on the other mob family head and put him in the trunk. So he meets him in the back of his farm and... He pulls up, and there's a big fire going, like a bonfire. And what does he do? I couldn't even believe it. They show the guy and his buddy, the guy that had the gun on the other mobster, they show him dumping all of the millions of dollars, just dumping money into this fire. They took all the money, and they burned it. I'm sitting there going, what are you doing, brah? Give me some of them stacks, kid. Instead, they burn all the money, every single dollar, burn it all. And then they go over to the side of the farm and there's all these pigs. And I'm like, listen to these pigs squealing. They're going crazy. So it turns out what we didn't see was the guy brought the car to the farm, apparently pulled the mob head from the back of the trunk, threw him into the pig sty, and this gigantic pig tore his head off. And then all the little pigs ate the guy's body. Now that is how you start a cocaine show. You see the mob head get thrown to a pack of pigs and be eaten alive. And the first thing that happened to him was having his head torn off by a 300 pound pig. Like the mama pig came in and just absolutely bit off this guy's head and ate it and then let all of her little piglets eat the guy's body. He was like laying there with no head and all these pigs are devouring his body. It was absolutely unbelievable. And then they bust into the show open. I'm like, that was the strongest 20 minutes of television I have seen in a while. This is like breaking bad times a thousand. It was absolutely kick-ass. One other note. The young grandson of the godfather, the old man that's half blind, he says to the guys feeding the other mobster to the pigs, starve the fat pig, put her on a diet. And the farmer's like, why would I do that? And he said, because I want her to be so hungry that when I feed my grandfather to her, she devours him 10 times more than she just devoured this mobster. And they looked at him like he was nuts. And he said, basically, what is there, an echo? Starve the pig so that when I feed my grandfather to her, 
she devours him even faster. So they know that this guy means business. He's going to be like the new Don Corleone. He's going to get rid of his own grandfather and feed him to the pigs. So apparently in Italy, they don't mess around. Some places the mob just shoots you. Some places they put you in a hole in the desert like Vegas. But in Italy, they'll feed you to the pigs and have the pigs devour your body and tear your head off. And then when they're done with that guy, they'll do it to their own family members that they want to get rid of. And that's a beautiful thing when you think about it. So then the scene shifts to Monterey, Mexico, where there's a chili factory. They're making peppers, the hot peppers, and they're canning them and shipping them. It's a gigantic operation and warehouse. Then all of a sudden they go to the back of the warehouse and they got a special room. And in that special room, they have tons of chicks in their bras and underpants and nothing else. And guess what they're doing? They're chopping up and packaging kilos of pure cocaine. And I mean, this is a gigantic operation they got going in there. All these chicks with their rubber gloves on, just cranking away and cutting up kilos. Meanwhile, the guy that's running the operation is on the phone with his mother back at the crib. And he's talking to her and she's complaining about his little boy giving her problems and he's being crazy and daddy needs to come home and take care of the problem and he's like I'll deal with it when I'm done here meanwhile the federales are tapping the phone line his phone line her phone line and they're sitting outside in a SWAT unit listening to the entire conversation and he's inside this warehouse with all these chicks carving up the Rio de Janeiro So they're cutting up the kilos. They put them in the bottom of the can. They pour the chilies on top of the kilos that are packaged perfectly so they can't get wet at all. They're completely sealed. And the rest of the can is filled with chilies. And the head guy watching the warehouse gets a call from his boss saying, I can't send the blow to Italy because they haven't given us the money for the blow. So watch The blow. That's your job. Do not take your eyes off that blow. Do not let anything happen to that blow. But we're not shipping anything until we get that money we need, son. We got to get that money. We got to get the stacks for the blow. Until we get the stacks, it's on you to watch that blow. So the guy's on his phone trying to figure out where he's going to stash the blow. He's like, I'm going to take it to this farm. Meanwhile, the whole time, the feds are listening in. They know exactly what he's doing now with the cans of peppers Filled with blow. I mean, this show is crazy. Next thing I know, the guy guarding the cocaine figures out that he's being watched by the feds. He ditches his phone, jumps in a car. There's a chase. The federales chase him in their trucks. They know that he's figured them out and that he's made them. So he takes off in a car. They chase him through the streets. And there's tons of people shopping and doing their business and walking around. There's just millions of people. And he goes to this market and he jumps out of the car. And then there's this gigantic gunfire, this battle between the cops and the SWAT team and these cocaine dealers in the car and they just start spraying Uzis and all of these innocent civilians get lit up and they show this little girl she got popped in the neck and she is just absolutely spraying blood out of her neck and one of the federales is trying to help her and she's bleeding to death so now the cops have killed a ton of innocent civilians trying to catch this one coke dealer and it's going to be all hell for them the fallout of this with the local people they're gonna turn on the popo 
So eventually they catch the guy that was guarding the blow in the market. They chase him all over the place and he's shooting people, shooting at the cops. They're like army guys. They're all dressed in garb. They got their whole unis on. They look like a SWAT team. They got helmets on, machine guns. They're all armored and teched up. And they finally catch him. They chase him. They're shooting at him, shooting people left and right. Eventually, he's running through the square and the other uh, group of cops in their big truck just run him over in the street. And then he is done. Then they capture him, stuff in the back of the truck, drive him to some house up in the hills, and then they throw him into a hole underneath the house. And then they go down into the hole and they torture him with electrocution from a car battery. And they just light his ass up, kill him, and then they just bury his ass. And then they're back to their business trying to get to this meeting, the meeting about all the blow. So now I know that this American family with the powerful father and then the son who's got a debilitating, deadly disease and his sister, they run the American end of the cocaine company and they're living in New Orleans. But the father, they're over in Mexico at this meeting and they meet in this fancy hotel in the lobby restaurant. It's a beautiful place. They pull up, they're having dinner with these powerful Mexican Coke dealers. There's four of them at the table. And then outside in the parking lot is that army SWAT team that busted the cocaine chili dealer in the market and ran him over and then buried him and electrocuted him. So then they go to this restaurant and they're watching this dinner go down and then they come swooping into the restaurant but the people in the restaurant are tipped off that they're there and i actually think one of the army guys tipped them off and said we're out here in the parking lot we're about to kill you and suddenly they get up from their table they all start running next thing you know the american guy and his daughter are trying to escape and the father the patriarch he gets shot dead by this army they light him up with rounds and he gets killed right in front of his daughter before they went to the meeting, when they were on their way to the meeting, he had said to his daughter, promise me that you won't get your brother involved in the family business if anything ever happens to me. Obviously, something did happen to him. He got lit up and killed at the meeting. So chaos. And now the daughter is basically in charge. And her brother, who's got this disease that's killing him. I don't know what it is, but he goes to meetings for it. He's in there and everybody in there is dying and he has to deal with it. He doesn't want to talk about it. It appears to me that he's deaf as well, but he can read lips and it's getting really interesting, but the dad's dead now. Meanwhile, the kid, he loves to just smoke doobies in his dad's mansion and his dad even was smoking doobies with him in his bedroom right in front of the daughter and and then before you know it, he's dead. So now we're going to find out what is going to happen after the fact. But they go back to Italy and the godfather, the half blind old man, he's sitting in his bunker. And all of a sudden in comes these army people in cognito dressed as like soldiers covered in camouflage and everything. They swoop in at night to get him. He escapes like El Chapo through some bathroom wall, goes into a tunnel, escapes 
but he falls down this giant ravine and snaps his finger right off his hand. It's sideways. He escapes, somehow gets through this tunnel and escapes, gets down to his buddy's farm, and then they snap his finger back into place and cut it open because he does major ligament damage. Literally, his finger was going the exact opposite direction. So all kinds of stuff going on. They're still trying to kill the godfather in Italy. And the patriarch of the American family has been shot dead. And the guy in Italy, the old man, when he's getting his finger fixed, they show him a newspaper with the obituary that the American drug lord is dead. So he now knows that the American is dead. By the way, the Americans never got their money for the cocaine. So they never got their money shipment. Meanwhile, they're supposed to ship the drugs, but they're not going to ship the drugs without their money. Stunning development. It turns out that the patriarch American father, Edward Linwood, played by Gabriel Byrne, and the son is Dane DeHaan, Chris in the show, and then the daughter is Emma. So it turns out he's got the bulletproof vest on at the dinner in Monterey where he got lit up and shot dead, leaving the party trying to escape, and everybody thought he was dead. You start the second episode... And they drag him off the ground, put him in the back of a Suburban, and the guy's alive. He got lit up with five bullets in the chest. But the chest protector worked, bulletproof vest, and they peel it off of him, and he's fine. They drag race his ass to the private airport, and they get him on a Cessna to get him the hell out of Mexico. And he is still alive, the powerful father, Edward. So it's still Eddie... Chris and Emma rocking the Linwood cocaine family. Daddy is still alive. Check out. So then unbelievably, she gets him back to New Orleans, drags him in their mansion down by Bourbon Street. And the kid Chris isn't home. He's off. Nowhere to be found. She's screaming his name for help. She drags him upstairs, brings him in the house. Sits him on the sofa. She starts running around the house looking for Chris. The guy collapses onto the floor and literally dies on the spot. So first she thought he was dead in Mexico. He's got the flak jacket on and lives. Then he flies home, survives somehow from Mexico to New Orleans, then gets to his house and falls off the sofa and drops dead on the floor of the living room. Then the kid comes home. And finds his dad dead. And all the cops are there in ambulances. Then the next thing you know, they got him up in the bed. Dead. Like he's just an absolute corpse. And he's laying in bed with his hands crossed. He's in a suit getting ready to be put in a casket. And the daughter, Emma and Chris, the brother, are laying in bed with him dead. And Chris and Emma are smoking a fat bone. And she lies to him and says, the last thing he said to me before he died was he once... Chris to be in the family business finally. And it was the exact opposite of what he said. The father said, promise me that you will never let Chris be in this cocaine business. No matter what, don't let the kid be a part of it. Meanwhile, the kid's dying, allegedly, with some disease. And now she tells him, dad wants you to run the family business with me. Are you ready for the nation's first and only free 24-hour network dedicated to you, the betting and fantasy sports enthusiast? SportsGrid will provide you with real-time content, statistics, and gaming intelligence unlike anything you've ever seen before. Located both in the heart of New York City and inside the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands, SportsGrid is live 18 hours a day, here to serve you, the fanatic. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid.
Have you written a book and need some insight into what comes next? Or are you passionate about cooking and want to know how to make it your career? Or maybe you just want to hear insider stories about the entertainment industry. Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. And on our podcast, Two Guys from Hollywood, we bring our expertise to the table with, of course, delicious cocktails and all kinds of recipes for you to try at home. So grab a drink and join us. We've got a wide range of celebrity guests and Hollywood insiders to discuss pop culture, publishing, and entertainment. And we'll provide you with an unfiltered and sometimes brutally honest show about Hollywood. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. So the story's getting crazy. Bottom line is the brother and sister now, Chris and Emma, are running things. First, they got to have this elaborate funeral for the dad. They bury the dad in this creepy old cemetery in New Orleans. Huge funeral. Thousands of people show up. Obviously, the guy had tons of money. He was powerful. I don't think anybody knew what he did for a living, but they had this gigantic funeral. The son speaks to the funeral. It tells the story of how his mom died of the same disease that he has that ravaged her mind and her body and killed her. And then he admitted that he has it. And he said, I thought I would die before my dad. I never thought I'd see my dad in the ground before myself. But his dad is dead. And so when they come back from the funeral, somebody's broken into the house. The front door is open. It's creepy. There's doors open, wind blowing through the house. And the brother and sister go into the living room. And then suddenly here comes this Italian guy, the grandson, the one that wants to bury his grandfather and feed him to the pigs. He's the dirty Italian mobster that wants all the power. He's the one that burned all the money. He wants the cocaine shipment. He wants to kill his grandfather. He's there with one of his henchmen. And the sister Emma starts talking back to him when they discuss the shipment of cocaine. And the Italian kid, Stefano's his name, he slaps her in the face, grabs her by the ear, puts her down on the ground and tells her who's boss. He's like, I'm in charge now. Your dad's gone. You're going to listen to me or I'll bury your bodies in the garden. So he's threatening them. She's on the ground, scared to death. Chris is scared of him. He doesn't want any violence. And then you think these two are just absolutely screwed because they're afraid of the mobsters that they're dealing with with the cocaine shipments. One thing leads to another. She ends up in a restaurant and turns the tables on the Italian mobster. She writes the grandfather, does the deal anyway is going to send her brother on the container ship that goes across the world with the cocaine, and he's going to go on the boat with the drugs, and the captain of the boat is hired by her. Everything's being run by her, and she basically, in front of the Italian mobster, says, screw you, you're in charge of nothing, I'm still doing the deal with your grandfather and I'm shipping the drugs and my brother's going with and I don't care what you Pharrell and think. It's nice doing business with you. Then she walks out of the restaurant and this mobster is fuming mad. I mean, he is absolutely livid. So the next thing you see is this kid, Chris, on this ship 
going across the world with the drug. He's in charge of the ship with this captain, and he's with all the cocaine, and he's just minding his own business, listening to music, smoking his doobies like he always does. This guy cranks 15 doobies a day. I mean, finger-sized doobies, the index finger. I'm not talking about pinky. I'm talking about index finger-sized spleefs. So the next thing you know, they show Chris on the ship, minding his own business, burning a fatty, listening to jazz music from New Orleans on his beats, sitting on the side of the ship, middle of the ocean, boom, all of a sudden, here comes the helicopter over the ship, ropes swinging down out of the sky, he turns around, looks up, here come these SWAT guys again with their submachine guns and AR-15s and their gear and their camouflage and their army fatigues. And they get right up onto the ship, land, run up to Chris and crank him in the mouth with one of the AR-15s and just literally knock him out flush. And he's got just blood flying and oozing out of his mouth as he's laying on the top of the ship, just getting jacked up by these soldiers chaos so they're raiding the coke ship and taking it over they're seizing everything so they show all this chaos with this army unit these swat guys these guys that keep showing up and shooting people and trying to kill the american the coke family father they shot him but he had on a flak jacket and of course they were on the ship they came swinging down on the ropes and came on the ship and cranked chris across the face with an ar-15 and they've just been everywhere since the show started they were flying through the mountains in italy going to the bunker looking for the grandpa and they were blowing things up and these guys just roll everywhere trying to control the cartel and the drug business and they are dirty they were the ones in the market shooting the guy in charge of the coke at the pepper company when they were making the chilies and sticking the kilos in there and they shot him up and then they shot the girl in the neck i mean they have just been slaughtered people left and right and eventually they go back and show the history of this group and how corrupt they are and dirty they are so in one scene when they tried to kill the American and the American got away of course but they were trying to kill the American they were trying to kill the Mexican drug lords they got away as well there was this big car chase and eventually they shot everybody else they shot the lawyers they shot the security guards they filled everybody up with bullets there was car wrecks all over the freeways It was like a scene out of when Princess Diana was killed in that car chase when she died and they were driving too fast and all that stuff. It was like in this freeway, obviously in Mexico, and they smashed into a bunch of cars and then they just started shooting people, witnesses. They were killing them all left and right. So one thing leads to another and they show their back history. And the back history is is that when they killed all the people on the freeway. One of them, the lawyer for the drug cartel, was in one of the Suburbans and they killed him and then they stole all his money. And when they went back to their base and they were getting undressed for the day, their day of slaughtering and killing people, one of the main players in the army, the sergeant, pulls out this package, this little purse full of money, and he spreads the money out amongst his soldiers. There's seven of them in the room. He gives them all a big stack of money because he's got a ton of money, and he just starts giving them all a wad, a stack each. And then a couple of them wouldn't take the money. They said, listen, I'm all in. I'm here to serve. I'm going to do whatever you say. I'm going to kill whoever you want me to kill. I'll do anything you want, but I'm not taking the narco money, so you can have it. And then they didn't like that. The sergeant didn't like that one of his soldiers wouldn't take the money so one thing leads to another and his captain he brings him into his office and he says look i know we got a mole 
Because what happened was when they shot the American at the restaurant in Monterey, he tipped off the people in the restaurant that they were about to attack the restaurant and kill everybody. That's when they all got up from the table and started running for their lives. And this big car chase scene and everything that happened, they all got shot at and the Mexicans, two of them got away. All of their security got killed. Their lawyers got killed. Everybody got killed. The American got shot. They thought they killed him. But the girl, the American's daughter, she got away. We both know that they got on a Cessna, flew back to New Orleans, and then he eventually died in his house when he collapsed off the sofa. But the Army people thought they had killed him. But they did steal the money from the lawyer, and they went back to their base. He spread the money out to everybody. Then his captain says, we know someone told them that we were there. We know that we have a mole. We know we have a spy that tipped off the people inside the restaurant that we were about to attack and kill them. So one of our own narked us out. And we need to find out who that narc is or we're going to have problems. And he said to Captain, if I don't find out who that narc is, I'm going to replace all of your asses. I'll just get rid of all of you. And the sergeant, who's his top guy, bottom line, he's the mole. The sergeant is the narc. The sergeant is on the take. The sergeant's the one that stole the money. Meanwhile, he's hilarious. He goes to church all the time. When he's not at church, he's listening to church sermons on his earbuds. He's always listening to sermons about God and the Lord and the righteous. And so he's all religious. Meanwhile, his entire day, every day is filled with corruption, being a mole, being a spy, being just an absolute murderer. He shoots and kills everyone in his sight. I've been watching this show for two episodes. I've already seen him kill 30 people. So he's killing everybody. But meanwhile, he's all religious, allegedly. And we know he's a thief. And we know he's a mole. And we know he tipped off the people inside the restaurant that they were going to kill him. So he's as dirty as they come. So then there's this scene where he has to find someone to take the fall as the mole. Someone has to be the narc or the spy. And even though he knows it's him, but the captain doesn't know it's him. So he goes out and he's going to put the blame on two guys. So these two dudes are out at a bar. The one guy had just got done whacking a session with his wife, who's pregnant. Then he goes downstairs to have a beer with his brother, one of his soldier buddies. And they're in the bar dancing and drinking beer. And here comes the dirty sergeant with a submachine gun into the bar. And he just walks right up to both of them and kills both of them. He just lights them up with a machine gun with 100 bullets each in the chest. And they're both dead. Meanwhile, the pregnant chick's upstairs. She's running down to see what happened because she sees all the people fleeing out of this bar. And there's absolute mayhem in the streets. Meanwhile, this guy just killed them both. He's walking through the bar listening to religion sermons. And he's as calm as the day is blue. Like nothing happened as he's walking through the bar after killing people. And he's holding an AR-15 in his hand as if nothing happened. And he could care less what anyone thinks. He doesn't even care that everyone sees that he's the one killing people. He's like, you even look at me, I'll kill you too. Meanwhile, when he's driving away, last thing he does before he leaves the bar, he throws a bomb into the bar. So everyone else that's in the bar, he blows them up. And then as he gets in the van with all the bodies that he wanted to kill, the soldiers, he drives away and he sees his soldier brother, one of his boys that he just killed, sees the pregnant wife running to see what happened to her husband. And he knows he just killed her husband. As she's sitting there eight months pregnant running down the street, he looks back and it's the first time you see him with any kind of guilt at all. Meanwhile, he's this phony, super religious, 
absolutely lives his life completely and utterly for God and Jesus. Meanwhile, at the same time, he thinks he's doing God's work by being this corrupt soldier and going around killing people and killing drug cartel people. So he thinks he's doing God's work. Meanwhile, he's killing his friends who are married with a wife that's eight months pregnant. I mean, they are ruthless in the show. They don't care who you are. Don't kill anybody. So after they killed the soldiers in the bar in Monterey, they took them and they threw them off a bridge with chains around their necks. So they were hanging from this overpass of a freeway, hanging off the side, dead, riddled with bullets. And they all had signs taped to their chests about this is what's going to happen to anyone that's with the Liras, which is the cocaine family that got away that they were trying to kill. So... They threw the bodies over the edge. They were tied up with chains around their necks. They were all dead, and they were hanging there with the sign saying, this is what's going to happen to you if you're with the Laris. And so now the captain sees that it looks as though they may have figured out who the mole was that tipped off the Liras from being killed by the army. One of the signs on the dead soldier said that he was working for the cartel. So now the captain definitely fell for it and he feels bad for the sergeant that he lost his men and that they were hung dead and riddled with bullets. But now he knows that they were the narcs. They were working for the cartel and they were the ones feeding the cartel with the information that the army was after him and narking him out. So the sergeant has pulled it off but he's the dirty one. So eventually they get on this ship, they raid the ship, but meanwhile, the sergeant, the dirty guy, Mr. God, he's on the ship with his captain. They're raiding the ship to find the cocaine, the army, because they're legitimately trying to stop the cocaine deal and find the blow, which they do find it. The captain's like, look what I found. They open the containers, they find all the chili, they open it up and there's all the kilos of blow. He's all excited. He looks over at the sergeant, He's like, what are you doing just standing there? And he's like, this ship's going to continue on its current course. He's like, what are you talking about? And then the sergeant takes out a knife right out of his packet on the side of his belt and just jacks the captain in the neck with about three shots. He shanked him. He's like, hink, hink, hink. And then he was spraying blood out of his neck. He was dead within seconds. And then they killed the other three or four legit soldiers, the ones that were completely on the army side. And then three were left standing, and all three are working for the cartel, for the sergeant, and they're all corrupt. And so they call for backup to come. The helicopter comes, and they get the dead captain and the dead soldiers off of the boat. And the sergeant looks at the captain of the ship and Chris, the brother of Emma, the American cocaine family, and says, You guys keep going on your route. You're good to go. We're out of here. Godspeed. God be with you. I love you and all the best. And the captain and Chris are looking at him like, this is insanity. I can't believe they're just going to let us keep going with all of our blow. And that's what they did. They let him keep going across the ocean with all the blow. And the army took off with their dead soldiers and dead captain. And they still think the army that the sergeant is good. Meanwhile, the whole time he's a piece of shack and a liar and a thief and a mole and a spy. And he's working for the cartel. So then the sergeant gets the 
helicopter to land to deal with the captain and the other soldiers that have been shot dead he lands the helicopter in a field and then they get off the helicopter and the sergeant and his two minions that are on the take with him they turn around and shoot the pilot and his assistant so now they've killed everyone that was legit in the army on this mission to go to the ship and stop the cocaine So the Dirty Three have killed all the soldiers that were legit, and the Dirty Three are now on the run. And the other two say to him, like, what are we going to do now? And the sergeant says, God has already shown me the way. So he legitimately thinks he's working God's plan, that he's doing the entire thing for God and that God is protecting them. I mean, my boy is just absolutely filthy dirty, but he's tripping his ass off. So the dirty sergeant goes to see the Liras, the drug kingpins from Mexico, and he offers their services, his five soldier group of on-the-take army federales. They're ready to work for the drug cartel. They've been working for the cartel. They've been tipping off the cartel about everything. Now they go to the Liras, the two brothers, and say, we're here to work for you. God has a plan for us to work for you, and we're going to do whatever it takes. You need to be retailers on the street and control the streets and get all the dealers to do what you want and have total power over them. You're not going to pay them. You're going to force them to do the work for you. You're going to force them to sell for you. Instead of selling the drugs and coke wholesale, he wants to sell it retail. And they think that the sergeant is nuts. His name's Manuel, by the way. So the sergeant is trying to convince the Liras to do it this way. And then things get really tense and they start pointing guns at each other, both sides. Because the Liras say, we don't need all five of you. We'll kill one of them and we'll take four of you. We don't need five. So they're going to kill the weakest one. And they're like, we'll just pick whichever one we want and kill them. And then the sergeant, Manuel, won't let them kill any of them. That's when the guns get drawn. So as they're trying to convince them to let them work for them and be their eyes and ears and protectors on the streets and control the streets and the coke deals on the streets all over Mexico, the ship is on its path basically to Senegal now. They're not going on the original path because they'll get popped. They'll get busted in the high seas of the Atlantic Ocean. So the chief engineer and the captain of the ship and Chris, are they've changed their route and they're on course to try to get this cocaine safely across the Atlantic and to where they need to be to get it unloaded and still make their money and get the job done right. Want to light the lamp on DraftKings and FanDuel this NHL DFS season? Then join DailyRoto.com and learn from the best daily fantasy sports players. Get updated fantasy hockey projections for NHL DFS, line combinations, and build stacks for tournaments in the Daily Roto NHL DFS lineup optimizer. If you are playing daily fantasy hockey without using Daily Roto, you are doing it wrong. Enter the promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. That's promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. I'm still on my own journey, but I want to be transparent with you, because as I was posting all the highlights of my life on social media, I was breaking down. And too many people fall victim to the picture-perfect image of the high life, so I created a space to discuss the good and the bad. We can laugh, man. We, we gonna learn. And most of all, I hope to inspire you to go on this journey with me to better mental health. This is gonna be your church, your turn up, and everything in between. 
So join me on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, a safe space for every kind of person. Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So Chris goes under the bowels of the boat. He goes into the engine room and one of the engineers says, you can't go in there. He says, I'll do whatever I want. He says, you got to have ear protection to go in there. The guy's like deaf anyway. He goes, don't worry, I'm under control here. He goes in, he finds all these loose oil cylinders and he realizes that they're all leaking oil really bad and that the ship will break down. And it shouldn't have been that way. They didn't get loosened by themselves. He goes to the cabin. He says, someone on this ship loosened those oil rigs. And someone did it. Someone's sabotaging the ship on your crew. And the captain's like, there's no way. There's no way. I've known these guys forever. They've been my crew forever. They all have worked for me forever. No one's ever done anything like that. And your father, the patriarch of the family, the Linwood family, Chris's dad, he knew all of them. That's what the captain said. He says, your dad knew every one of these guys. There's no way they did that. And Chris is like, it's a bunch of BS. Somebody loosened those oil rigs in the engine room and someone's trying to make this ship not make it to its destination. Someone's trying to screw us on this ship. And it certainly wasn't the army guys because when the army guys were on the ship, they were there to make sure that the coat got over too. And the sergeant killed all the good soldiers. He killed every one of them. So they're not the ones underneath the boat loosening the oil rigs. Bottom line is, is that Chris knows something's up on this ship. He goes back to his suite on the boat on this container ship. He's taking a shower and then some of his disease starts coming out. He starts having problems with his body and his muscles and he's He's having stand-up seizures, and he has to take his medication. He's not safe. Somebody's sabotaging the ship, and his body's starting to break down on him, and there's just all kinds of chaos. So then Chris goes and looks at the film underneath the ship. They got cameras of everything going on in the engine room, and he actually searches through all the films and realizes which guy loosened the oil rigs. And so now he knows who did it. Now he knows which guy was trying to corrupt the ship and screw up the engine room and make the ship have problems and break down in the middle of the Atlantic. So then it gets crazy. So Chris has figured out the guy that loosened the oil rigs trying to burn down his ship. And he confronts him and he calls him out. He's like, I know you tried to do it. A guy's like, I didn't do anything. I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, I watched you on film. Do it, you idiot. I watched you. I have the tape. Who told you to do it? He finally scares him and gets him to squeal that the chief engineer... Julian was the guy that told him to do it. So Chris goes to the captain of the ship, the guy's been working for his dad for all these years, and he says, I know who did it. It's this chief engineer, Julian. He's the one that told the guy to do it. He goes, we got to bust his ass. We got to call my sister. We got to tell her that this guy tried to do this. And then the captain says, no, you don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to call your sister. We got this under control. Don't worry about it. Don't call anybody. He's like, what are you talking about? Don't call my sister. And then the captain of the ship swings and crushes him in the skull with a can that he's got in his hand and he smashes him in the head and knocks him out. So now we know that the captain of the ship is corrupt and the chief engineer is corrupt and he's got his minions trying to burn down the ship while Chris is on the ship. So now we know that the captain's basically in on whoever's trying to 
set fire to the ship or to steal all the cocaine. Bottom line is the captain wants that money because he knows that ship's filled with a billion dollars worth of cocaine. So now Chris wakes up. They got him locked in a room. All of a sudden, he puts his hearing aid in. He hears the sirens going off. The ship is on fire. He looks out the window and sees smoke everywhere. He's in desperate straits. And he knows he's got a problem. He's locked in this cabin. He can't do anything. They got him jammed into his room. He goes to tear this giant bar off the wall. He's going to try to break his way out of the room. So he tears this bar off the wall. When he does it, he knocks all of his medication for his disease into the toilet so all of the medicine is ruined in the toilet so he's freaking out but he's got to get the hell out of that room so eventually chris breaks out of the room goes down into the engine room the entire ship's on fire there's flames 20 feet high he knows he can't get it out with an extinguisher so he rushes to the other side of the ship and he turns on the water system sprinkler system and it works The water's just spraying everywhere, putting out the fire, but it shuts the entire power down on the ship. So now the ship has the fire out, the sprinkler system worked, but now the power's out on the ship. So the ship goes black out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. He puts on a gas mask and he knows that these two, at the very least, maybe the whole crew is on the take for this captain and this chief engineer, Julian. So they're both obviously up to no good. And Chris is out there basically on the ship now with his billion dollars worth of cocaine in all kinds of trouble. These people are trying to kill him, but he's got a gas mask on and he's trying to somehow avoid these people that are trying to kill him. So the captain of the ship got his entire crew off the boat into a rescue boat and they set sail in the little dinghy rescue boat to survive because they tried to burn the container ship and sink it. They set it on fire on purpose to kill Chris and to stop the shipment. Obviously, they didn't want to steal it. They couldn't steal a billion dollars worth of cocaine in 50 containers on the ship. They were trying to destroy the cocaine, destroy the ship, sink the ship and kill Chris. And so this guy ends up back in New Orleans. He's coming out of a bar. He's getting in his truck, but he's got a flat tire. And here comes to the rescue, Stefano and Giuseppe, the two Italian drug dealers. Of course, Stefano's the guy that wants to kill his grandfather and get him out of the business and take over the business. And he picks up the captain of the ship with his problem flat tire and conveniently starts driving him home. He says, you need a ride? And the guy gets in the car with him. I'm thinking that's probably not a good idea. So now I got it figured out. They do these flashbacks. So what they did was that's how they convinced the captain to do what he did on the ship. They picked him up in New Orleans outside the bar. You know, he had a flat tire. They drove him around and offered him all kinds of money to sabotage the ship and to set it on fire, make sure that the shipment doesn't get to where it's supposed to go. That was the goal. And they were going to pay him all kinds of money to do it. Now, remember, the captain had been friends with the patriarch of the Linwood family for his entire career. He worked for him and knew him and was his friend. But in the end, once he was dead, he was willing to make money to retire because he was older and they offered him a ton of money. 
they offered him a hundred grand just to start the job and then a million if it succeeded. I don't think they were ever going to give him any of the money, but they offered him a hundred grand to start and then a million if it gets completed in euros. So bottom line is the captain was on the take and he was working for the Italian mob and he was going to make sure that ship didn't get to where it was supposed to go with the cocaine on it. And he was willing to set it on fire and kill Chris, his best friend's son, to get it done. I mean, how dirty are you? So the Italian mobster ends up going home to his wife and his little son, and he's back in Italy, and just as he gets home and he's seeing his family, the doorbell rings, and it's the grandfather sending his henchmen to pick up the grandson, you know, the young Italian mobster, to go see the grandfather, the guy that he wants to feed to the pigs. So he knows he's in trouble because these dudes are evil. And he tells his wife to get his coat and she goes and gets the coat and puts some phone in the coat and then runs the coat back to him at the front door. So he's going to go with these two guys to see his grandfather. So Stefano is in a really bad predicament right about now. His wife, Lucia is her name and the little boy's name is Domenico. So Stefano looks like he's in all kinds of hot water with his grandfather, and now he's worried. I'm telling you, they don't mess around in Italy with the mob. I mean, they are evil. They mean business. They send two henchmen to get this kid. Meanwhile, he's family, and he is scared to death that he's going to get killed. So he's with these two dudes, and they are mean-looking SOBs, and his wife is scared to death. His son has no clue what's going on because he's about four years old. And this guy gets in their SUV and he starts driving with him and he is absolutely tripping. So they put him in the front seat. He's got one mobster sitting behind him and the other one driving. He's driving through the mountains in Italy. I mean, it's the most beautiful drive in the world, but it's scary. And then they pull up to some mansion up at the top of a cliff of some house that looks like it's abandoned. There's no one in there except his grandfather. And he's sitting upstairs with a table and a bottle of wine and his cane and wants to see his grandson. And the guy's scared to death. So the grandpa starts talking to Stefano and he's like, why did you go to America? Why didn't you tell me you went to America? He said, I went to America to see these two idiots, the girl and the boy. The girl's ordering the boy around. He says, they're fools. They don't know what they're doing. And then the grandfather says, I saw her baptized in America 30 years ago. She knows more than you. And I know more than you. I know what I'm doing more than you'll ever know what you're doing. So he's now confronting his grandson and calling him out. He doesn't like what he's been up to behind his back. So then they leave the abandoned house. They drive back into the city. While they're driving, the grandpa's in the car with him. And some truck pulls up next to him hauling ass. And these dudes look into the window. And the mobsters don't even flinch. They look over at him and they're like, whatever, Pharrell, you. And then the truck that pulled up next to him pulls off and gives up. And they keep going and they end up at some guy's house. Guy lets him in. He gives the godfather the kisses across the cheek. Then they go up in the back of the house and they go up into this backyard warehouse, farmish type area. And then the next thing you know, here they go up the steps and you can hear these giant pigs squealing like the pigs 
that the grandson wanted to feed the grandfather to, the big fat pig. Do you remember they wanted to feed him to the pigs? So they bring the kid up to the top of the hill and they literally string up this 300-pound pig with one of its legs with a chain, lift it up in the air, the pig's squealing like you can't even imagine. And then the owner of the house takes a giant knife and just kills the pig and just sticks the knife right in its throat. And the pig bleeds out in five seconds and just gushes blood out of the giant hole he carved in his neck. And the thing was dead in 10 seconds. And it's just the craziest scene you ever seen in your life. It's scary. This kid is just ready to crap his pants because his grandfather's taking him up to see this pig get killed. You can't even believe this. So then the guy that stuffed the pig and the grandfather drink the blood of the pig in a giant coffee mug and then they hand it to the grandson and he drinks the rest of the blood so all three of them chug this gigantic mug of blood then they go into the house and have some big meeting and sit around a table and talk about some guy that got killed his mother knows that they did it and they know that the mob killed their son and she wants to go to the police and then the guy's son says he wants to kill her and then the godfather the grandpa says we don't touch women and children we don't kill women and children so tell everyone to ignore her when she cries about them killing her son turn the other way and ignore her just don't listen to her don't believe her and they don't like his answer, but he's in charge. The grandfather, Don Minu, he's in charge. So whatever he says goes. And these other families don't like it. They don't like his decisions, but it doesn't matter because he has more power. Your boy Don Minu runs everything. The other guy is this Benedetto Bellantoni. And then Stefano's sitting at the table too, and he's scared to death. So Stefano, with the phone that she had stashed in his coat, calls home to his wife, tells her to look in this book, page 39, looks it up, sees the guy Benedetto's name. She calls one of Stefano's friends and tells him he's at Benedetto's home. So he was trying to get somebody to come over there and rush to the house and save him. But it was not quick enough because the grandfather took him in the car again somewhere else. So Don Lino's henchman realizes that Stefano's gone in the bathroom and made the phone call. He heard him on the phone. So when they get in the car and they're driving away in the SUV, he says, give me the phone. Don't make me ask again. So Stefano gives him the phone and he throws it out the window. So now Stefano knows that the grandfather and his henchmen are on to him and he's in all kinds of deep water. So they drive him onto this bridge and then they make him get out of the car and then the grandfather says your father started this war your father is the reason for the war your father tried to gain control of the organization he's the one that started this whole mess so the grandfather don minu says that stefano's father they went to this house and killed this woman and her child so he was a woman and kid killer so the grandfather, Don Mino, said, I had to kill him. I had to kill your father because he was a piece of shack. So then they take Stefano to see his friend. They got him tied up in a car and gagged with a duct tape over his mouth. And he's in this beat up car sitting down by the beach and they are pouring gasoline on the car and they're going to set him on fire right in front of Stefano. 
I mean, to tell you, these people do not mess around. When they kill, they kill you. And I mean, they leave you with something to think about. They leave their mark. So then Don Mino gives Stefano a choice. After they burn his friend to death in the car, they set him on fire and he exploded and burned into a pile of ash. And then the grandpa walks up and he says, I don't want to do what I did to your father, but he had it coming. So you are the age that your son is now. And you were the only person I missed when I went into hiding after I killed your father. So I lived in a bunker all these years, and you were the only thing I missed. The only person I cared about was you. So now I'm going to give you a choice. This is the last choice you'll ever have. You got one chance. You got to pick a side. What's it going to be? Are you going to pick hatred toward me? You're going to think you're going to kill me? Or are you going to be on my side? Which is it going to be? So then Stefano's boys show up at Benedetto's house to kill Don Minu. And Stefano, believe it or not, helps his grandfather escape with one of his henchmen after these guys killed the other henchmen. So there was only one henchman left. The grandfather, Don Minu, and Stefano. Stefano helps them escape. They drive off in the SUV. And as they're driving off, Stefano shoots a couple rounds in the air to pretend like there was a gunfight and then he shoots himself in the shoulder and he's bleeding ass and then his friends come running down and he tells them they know everything they killed Nicola right before my eyes they burned him to death and he knows that he helped his grandpa get away but he's lying to his own men now Want to be the next Daily Fantasy Millionaire? Dunk on your NBA DFS competition with DailyRoto.com and dominate on FanDuel and DraftKings this season. Compete with the pros with DailyRoto.com, Optimizer, and the most accurate projections in NBA DFS, plus lineup alerts, breaking news, late swap support, and much more. Save 10% on winning NBA DFS advice with promo code DUNK. Visit DailyRoto.com backslash DUNK to learn more. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon.